From KJZZ's Fronteras Desk, this is Crossing the Line, a podcast that explores the national, cultural, and political boundaries of the Southwest. I'm Jimmy Jenkins. In this episode, reporter Michelle Marisco explores a new initiative in southern Arizona to help solve the mystery of some 900 people who've died crossing the state's border with Mexico in the last 15 years. They were never identified, and now families across the country are coming forward to claim the dead. This story begins along a lonely road in southern Arizona, just north of the border, where an unknown victim was recently found. On August 8th of this year, a Border Patrol agent tracking a group of people who had crossed illegally in from Mexico came upon the lonely remains of what was likely a would-be immigrant heading into the U.S. The remains were scattered and complete, and the person that they once comprised unidentified and unknown. It's an old story in this quiet desert, this slow, lonesome way to die. Smugglers are paid to guide people through trails that slither through green mesquite and Palo Verde, rich and heavy now with summer rains, but too often leave their clients behind in a rush to keep moving and avoid detection. Some migrants choose to bypass the enterprising criminal networks that roam this desert and go it alone, and they're quickly overwhelmed by the magnitude of a long walk through a hard country. And so... This desert holds bones, and it guards their identity like secrets. Inside the Pima County Medical Examiner's building in Tucson, Dr. Greg Hess's staff conducts autopsies from multiple counties throughout southern Arizona, mostly on the border. The forensic team handles about 3,100 local deaths per year, mostly death of a suspicious nature, such as murder. And of those 3,100, last year about 140 were the bodies of people who had tried to cross the Mexico border. It's been this way since 2001 in Arizona, when the state became the predominant region for illegal border crossings. Since then, about 2,600 have died meaning about a third remain unidentified. So in terms of the total number of deaths, um, it, it's, you can see it's not that large. Uh, the, now, the, saying that, I'm not trying to, to minimize the issue because the, the problem with this group of people is that um, we don't know who they are. So most people that are reported to our office, we do know who they are, and so we don't have to deal with the issues of, uh, of people being unidentified. His office identifies about half of the unknown who come in every year and then a few from previous years. And so by now, the office is left with 900 bodies, all presumably from Mexico and other Central American countries, all found within roughly the first 100 miles of the Arizona-Mexican border. And nobody knows who they are. So, uh, so we're here in the cooler. Um, you can see that uh, the, the remains to the, the right-hand side of the cooler, or the, uh, I guess it would be the north-facing side of this cooler, uh, in these uh, white body bags are, are generally our undocumented border crosser remains. As an example of what we have, we can look over here, where we have these uh, a number of uh, smaller body bags on this particular tray. Uh, the one that I'm currently looking at is labeled 15. Uh, 3103, which means it's, um, these remains were recovered in 2015, at the end of 2015. And since it's a small 
um, bag, it, it clearly doesn't contain an entire set of human remains and is likely skeletal remains. We can take a quick look. And uh, here we just have some fragmented um, remains. It's a, it's a portion of a human mandible or the, the jawbone um, from a person that's uh, missing some of the teeth after death. Um, so we know that it's human. Um, the odds of us identifying who this are or who this person is is going to be uh, uh, relatively small unless we can make a DNA match. It doesn't look like we have any property or any identifying documents with these remains. These remains, this yellowing and brittle lower jaw, will end up interred in a county graveyard. But forensic anthropologists now have a digital ID card the DNA of the person this lower jawbone belonged to. And that goes in a file used by the nonprofit Colibri Center. The nonprofit's Kat Rodriguez dials a woman from Phoenix whose brother went missing in June 2014. The woman has been in touch with Colibri Center through Facebook for more than a year. Rodriguez explains that the next step is for the woman to undergo a DNA swab paid for by the organization. So we have all the information that we need for him. We have photos of him, pretty good description. There's even a photo of a, ta a pretty big tattoo he has. I mean, we have a very complete missing person case. Um, so basically from here, you know, we just... There's nobody that's come through the medical examiners that seems to be him. This is why, you know, she would be an ideal candidate for this because, you know, I mean, the reality is in a very short period of time, relatively speaking, you you are not going to be ID'd any other way but DNA. And so, you know, that DNA might really be the answer. Her brother might very well be one of those 900. Her brother might have been found, you know, five months after he died but there was no way to know it was him. And he may not have been found. Remember those remains I told you about at the beginning of this story by a Border Patrol agent? Those were found entirely by chance. Ranchers find skeletal remains while checking fences and water lines. Hikers find the dead while scrambling through trails in southern Arizona. Before summer even hit this year, while temperatures were just starting to climb so high that law enforcement begged Arizonans to stay home, border agents found a group of four who had died outside of Gila Bend. These are the dead who are accounted for. This project is a way to know if it's him. It's also a way to give, give families um, the answer that he's not here. And sometimes knowing that is also really important. I mean, that's why people call, you know, when someone's missing, they call every hospital in town because then they know they're not, at least they know they're not there. So this would tell them something as well. Hard answers to be sure, but answers nevertheless. And if Jenny's brother is not among those 900, but turns up a year or more down the road, his sister's DNA will be on file. First, though, the center needs to collect the DNA from people looking for their family members. That's where the project is now, calling people who've reached out with information on an immediate family member who's gone missing. Um, ideally, it would be at the consular office. If a consular office isn't big enough, we could do like a, um, a church or community center or someplace so that families will come in. It's, it's, um, there's a couple different 
I'm not sure we've decided which um, kits we're going to use. There are some that you, it's like a little tube, you spit and fill it up with your spit or with your saliva. Um, there's others where it's like a, a Q-tip, like four, four Q-tips where you swab the inside of people's cheeks, both sides, uh, 20 times up and down. And then there are others that you lick, like the family, the person would lick it, um, also for the saliva. So we'll probably do that. There are also um, a blood kind where they prick their fingers, um, but I think we're leaning heavily towards saliva. Right now, the center has gathered about 2,500 missing persons reports from families living in the U.S., the missing were last seen in tiny towns serving as way stations in northern Mexico or in southern Arizona, in California, in New Mexico, in Texas. The DNA samplings will happen throughout the U.S., the first one this fall in San Francisco. Some of these missing person cases stretch back to 1981, with family members in the U.S. calling the Colibri Center to say their brother had disappeared on his way to Tijuana. People hear about something, hear about us, they'll resurface this, you know, this old pain they have of a brother or a relative or somebody that's been missing all this time ago, and they searched and searched back then. Maybe over the years they've tried multiple times. Then there are the cases of those who've disappeared in the last few years. Camarina Santa Cruz lives in a tidy home in the Tucson neighborhood. She became a Jehovah's Witness, and on this day that I visited her, she was rehearsing a song from her studies class that she attends at night. She's a U.S. citizen who arrived here in the 1980s. It's been three years since her son disappeared. He was 32 in 2013 with a short, trim beard and sharp black eyes. He ran a business in Nogales, Sonora. He and his wife separated. And on August 17, 2013, Marco Antonio Ramirez Moreno left Nogales with two friends. His mother was told he would cross the border through Lukeville. On August 20 that year, just three days later, those friends told her he didn't make it. She has faith he's still alive. She calls it a mother's faith. At the same time, she also has a lot of doubts and a lot of questions about that disappearance. None have ever been answered. She just wants to know. There are times she sees a man who looks like Marco Antonio and follows him to check if it's her son. Her husband tries to stop her, to tell her it's not him, she says. And in the meantime, she awaits her DNA results. Santa Cruz was part of the Colibri Center's pilot DNA match program last year, one of about 40 people. The results were paid for by the center, but it's still a slow process. She will find out in October. It's just waiting on the results, so she might have answers. She, her son may very well, her son's been missing almost exactly three years. He very much could be one of, the, one of those 900. So, for now, Santa Cruz and thousands more families like her wait, first for a DNA swab, then for the results of those tests to see if those lonely remains, like that lower jawbone of case 
1515-3103 belong to their loved ones. Our reporter was Michelle Marisco, who also produced this story. I'm Jimmy Jenkins. To see photos of the people in this story and to learn more about the DNA program, go to our website, fronterasdesk.org. If you have a story you want told, get in touch with us at reporters at fronterasdesk.org. If you enjoy our Crossing the Line podcast, tell your friends and share a link through kjzz.org or use our mobile app.